Thank you so much. Uh, welcome uh, to all of our onlineers who are watching right now or during the week or podcasters who are listening to us. We are continuing this series called The Power Of... Dot, dot, dot. And I want to uh, continue uh, this series and there's a reason behind this series. Pretty much everything we do in our church has a reason, uh, there's a strategy and I'll explain that to you in a few more moments. But as we kick into this message, I want to talk to us about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a legend in the Christian world. He, he preached to over 2.2 billion people around the globe in his lifetime. And he grew up on a dairy farm in Charlotte, North Carolina. In the, he grew up during the Great Depression, uh, and he, he grudgingly attended church with his family. He would uh, put up with the family's Bible reading, the family's prayers, and it left him feeling rest, restless and resentful. In May of 1934, a group of Christian business people gathered on Billy Graham's father's farm for an all-day prayer meeting. William Franklin Graham, so that's his father, remembered one of the men's prayers on that day that out of Charlotte, the Lord would raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, not long after that, uh, the, the local pastors and Christians men's club invited an evangelist, a fiery, uh, colorful evangelist by the name of Dr. Mordecai Ham, who came to hold a series of revival meetings in a great tabernacle that they, they built this great big shed with a sawdust floor, especially for these meetings, and he preached morning and night for 11 weeks straight, six days a week. He preached about God, God's love, sin, hell, everything, you name it, he preached about it. When Billy Graham heard about this guy, he was antagonistic. He thought, that's just a religious circus. I am not going to go to this crusade. And his parents went, he said, I'm never going to go a, a, a month later. Something happened that Dr. Ham made some controversial statements about some things that the high school students were doing in a nearby house to where his meetings were held. And there was rumors that the high school students were going to go and picket and, and uh, complain outside the, the hall of Dr. Ham. And, and so this really piqued uh, Graham's interest. He was 15 years old, almost 16. But of course, he said, I can't go. I've been resisting it. I've spoken out against it. I, there's no way I could go until a friend decided to invite him to come to this crusade the friend invited him to come and he's like no I won't come so the friend said well I'll tell you what you can drive my vegetable truck there to the tent crusade and we'll pick up everybody in the neighborhood now I don't know a 15 year old who would not go to church if they got the option to drive someone else's vehicle so whatever it takes all right so he goes there and he begins to hear and he said I can't remember the first sermon that was preached but I remember that I was spellbound I remember the Holy Spirit began to use that man to speak to my heart. Now, he went there for a number of weeks, listening all regularly, day in, uh, day in listening to him, and deep conviction began to hit him. A sense of sinfulness of, and his own rebellion, his own confusion became, became more and more obvious. The longer he listened to this guy, there was a dissatisfaction in his heart. Now, his friend, a guy by the name of Grady Wilson, and he got sick of Dr. Ham's bony finger pointing to them while he was preaching. So they devised a great scheme that they wouldn't have to face him. And although they couldn't sing, they joined the choir because the choir sat behind the preacher. And they could hold up the hymn books and they could hold them up and not see him and felt like they would be able to, to get away with this particular moment. But then a day came. 
And I think we've got the decision card of this particular day where um, Dr. Ham preached this message out of Romans 5.8 and it said, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Billy Graham in this moment um, responded to this call of God's love and this need for him to, to go down the front and kneel and pray a prayer. And he signed this card saying that I will follow Christ for all of my life. There it is. 1934, 15 years old, he made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Out of this story, here's a few things I want us to pick up. Number one is just because someone comes to church, it doesn't mean they're right with God. Number two is do whatever it takes, whether it's your vegetable truck, whether it's your, your high school student friends or whatever it is to invite someone to come to a place where the gospel is preached. And then number three, if, I, if someone will take the decision and maybe you're here today and you've never, you've been to church or maybe you haven't, but you've never invited God into your life. If you would make a decision to surrender your life to God, you never know what could happen in your life. The change and purpose that God could apprehend your life with if you would surrender to him today. That's Billy Graham, great man of God who went to be with Jesus just a few weeks ago. Now this morning I want to preach around this topic called the power of the invitation. The power of the invitation. And really, uh, so you understand, I guess, a little bit of the calendar of our church. January, we all try and get back and alive and wake up and connect with God and get filled with His Holy Spirit, start to dream about what God might have for us in the year ahead. And then February, we begin to re remind ourselves of our vision and what God's done in, our, in, our, in this church in the past and where we're going forward. And we talk about our values. And we, get, we get rolling into the year. And often in March, and this year is one of those years, there's a lot of new people who've joined our church. You, 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 this year, uh, the amount of new people, and you've joined and you've come along and you've been part of the family, and we're so glad that you have. We're so glad that you've joined us. And so lots of new people are joining us, and I always like to spend a little bit of time going into some of the really important foundations of who we are as a church as we kick into the year. That's why we've done this series, The Power of Agreement, which is all about prayer. We've had fasting. Uh, we've talked about, uh, Pastor Phil came and talked about the C3 and the values of who we are. Uh, we've looked into a range of different areas, the, 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 the power of tithing. And so just key things that are important for us as part of the church going forward. But today I want to I kind of launch us into a, a series that's going to kick off next Sunday or next Friday morning actually with our first ever Easter service at 9.30 next, next Friday and then three Easter services, then the Jellyfish Man. Pretty much we're looking at eight weeks of, of perfect to invite your friends to church Sundays. Now, I believe every Sunday is a good Sunday to invite our friends to church, but there, are, there will be eight weeks. Easter, people are looking for a reason to come to church. The, the, the guy who was clinically dead, uh, Ian McCormack has such a powerful story. Great opportunity to invite friends. We're going to do a survey next Sunday. We're going to ask people, uh, what would you like, what are the biggest challenges you face? And what would you like us to preach about? And so then we'll kick off the week after uh, we have Ian McCormack here, we'll kick off a You Ask for It series. And on that Sunday, on the Ian McCormack Sunday, we'll tell people, this is what we're going to talk about next week. Because we fervently believe as a church, the church isn't actually all about me or you, if you're a member of this church and our needs. In fact, the church is one of the only organizations in the world that exists not 
not for itself, but for those who aren't yet members of the church. Can I have an amen this morning? That's why if you've been around or if you've been through our Next Step Session 1, you'll understand that we, our number one value as a church is that we're a soul-winning church. We're here, we exist to help people connect to God, to build a relationship with God. People like Keely, who you heard from, who got invited to youth and connected to Christ, that's our number one value as a church. And so you'll find uh, that, that we, we, we kind of have moments and seasons, and this next season is a perfect one. Towards the end of the year, in October, November, December, are more perfect times for us really to invite those friends who are interested in church. I would suggest don't just skip Easter, invite someone to the, 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 we call him the jellyfish man, okay, but his name's Ian McCormack. But don't just invite someone to Easter because when they hear about this guy's going to be here next week, then they'll want to come back next week to hear his story. Then when they hear about uh, that Sunday, next week we're talking about this topic that people ask for. Look, I really need to hear that. I want to come back and hear that particular topic. And you'll find when people come week in, week out into the presence of God, God's love begins to melt hearts. The truth as it's preached out of the Word of God begins to penetrate hardened minds and hope comes to people in darkness that their life could change if God was let into their world. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love being part of a soul-winning church. All right, what you'll find on your seats, just, just again, for those of you, maybe you've used this for a while or you want to redo this, but we have a card called a friend's prayer card. And the friend's prayer card is an opportunity to write down up to 10 names of your friends who don't yet have a relationship with God. That's really what we're, we're about. We're, we want people to have a relationship with God. And so I've got this uh, on the wall in, my, in the room that I pray in every day, and I usually grab a hold of it. Excuse me. And on the back of it, there's five different scriptures and five ways to pray for our friends who don't yet have a relationship with God. I encourage you to take this home, write down the name of 10 friends and begin to pray for them that God would move in their heart, that his love would flow towards them, that, that hope would come to them, that they'd realize their need of God. And just like many of us, as lives have been transformed, they would encounter him through our prayer, through our prayer. So that's there. Also on the way out of church, today just a couple little things we have these little cards that can fit in a wallet or a purse and it's a generic invite card you've got some specific invite cards easter and uh, ian mccormack but these are generic ones that you can have and danielle and i sat down for coffee with someone just recently and she pulled this one out of her purse and gave it to this guy we were chatting to because he's interested in coming to church and so you know you might go i'll have five maybe you're an evangelist and you're like i'll have 50 whatever it is but get a hold of these and keep them where they're in, I'd like to keep them in my the back of my mobile phone so they're just ready when an opportunity comes to share with them. So you can get them on the way out as we go out of church this morning. One of our values for us to understand is, is this. Not all of us are called to be evangelists. An evangelist is a person who has a gift from God to share their faith with lots and lots of people. It's their, it's their number one motivation. They get a kick out of it. And, and you, you know, Billy Graham was an evangelist. But not all evangelists are evangelists with crusades and microphones. Lots of evangelists are people who just love meeting and radiating God's love and sharing their faith wherever they go, okay? And if you're one of those people, we have a team in our church called the Go Team. And you can become part of that team who meet together, 
pray together and inspire and encourage one another. And that's led by Jackson Calder, who will be here in the 1030 service a little bit later on. However, I believe this. I'm not an evangelist, but that doesn't let me off the hook. Because the Bible tells us he who wins souls is wise. And we, and our, our mantra in this realm is this, for, the, for those of us who are members of this church, you might not be an evangelist, but you are called to be a soul winner. There are people in your world, your street, your work, your school, your family, who you are the one who will have the access into their life to share your faith with them. And so we're all called to be soul winners. It's part of our Christian journey. Are we good with that? We're good to go. All right, I want to I want to speak today, and so this period of, of of inviting friends to church, this great season, will go right up to Mother's Day. It's going to be about eight weeks where every service is designed around our friends that we're bringing to church. So can I encourage you, come along with an expectancy, bring people along. If your friend's not here, my aim would be that everyone in church would at least one Sunday a year have some have your friend beside you who doesn't know God or someone who you've connected with who doesn't know God and you're the person who brings them. That would be my goal. Every member would be able to do that at least one Sunday throughout the year. Who thinks you could make that a goal to do? All right, all right, all right. So I want us this morning to have a look at a story out of John chapter 4 as we look at the power of the invitation. The story is a story about Jesus and it's often called Jesus and the woman at the well. And essentially, this is what happens. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and they're traveling up to Judea from Jerusalem. So they're going north, and to get to that place of where they're going, they need to go through an area called Samaria. And Samaria is an area where the Jews, of which Jesus was one, is a group of people who who had separated out of of Jerusalem, and they were very antagonistic to one another. Samaritans and Jews hated one another. They both thought they had the right answers about God. They both thought that their way was correct. And so there was a strong antagonism. And usually you would avoid going through Samaria if you're a good Jew. But Jesus, for for a reason that only he himself knew, a divine appointment, an intersection that was coming, walked through this place near a village called Sakaar. And as he walked through, he came to a well outside of the village, because that's where wells were. They were outside of a village. And this, and he sent the disciples on somewhere to go and buy some food, but he stayed beside the well. He knew that there was a divine moment, a set-up moment from God coming. He could sense it. And as he was there, a woman came out to the well. It was the middle of the, it was the, middle of the day. And she came up to the well, and she, she had obviously whatever it was required, a rope, a, a bucket. She had what was needed to draw water from the well, and Jesus didn't have what was needed. And he began a conversation with this woman. And he said, would you please give me a drink? And she said, who, you you know, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. Why are you even having a conversation? And and then he goes on and he began to have some spiritual conversation and he, he discerned her need and he talked to her about that. And as a result of this encounter, this conversation that Jesus had with the woman of Samaria, she goes back to her village and tells them that this man's read my mail, and within, within a couple of days, this whole village has converted to Christ. One divine appointment leads to a whole village converting to Christ. And I want to draw some thoughts out of here uh, from Jesus. I'm going to start at the end, and then I'm going to work our way back. And in John 4, 34 and 35, 
But the disciples came back. They realized that, that he'd been talking to this woman. They were perplexed. Why would he do that? Why would he talk to a Samaritan? And then he, they brought back food and he's not hungry. And, they, and in verse 34, it says, Jesus explained, I'm not hungry because my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Now, if you've ever been hungry and fasted and gone without food, you'll know that's not a natural thing. But Jesus was engaged in doing something that obviously fueled him, occupied his thinking, that was totally kind of grabbed a hold of his being, was absolutely fulfilling. And he said, that's what I was called to do. And it's better than food and it's better than anything else. The first thing I want us to know is this, that sharing our faith is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things that we can do. Sharing our faith is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things that we can do. Now, I know about the moment that the slide went up of the power of the invitation, a lot of people in this room went, oh, it's going to be one of those messages. It's gonna, it's gonna, he's going to talk about the E word, evangelism. He's going to talk about uncomfortable. For whatever reason, you just went into, some of you immediately opened your phone and your Facebook and you switched off at that moment because you're like, oh no, here we go. I'm, now, I know what that's like because you know, I don't consider myself an evangelist and I don't really like going outside my comfort zone. And I've seen the guy at Malulabar preaching out of his Bible, yelling at people as they walk past, hoping. And, and some of you have got this image in your mind of what, uh, what an invitation looks like, what a soul winner or an evangelist might, might be. And, you know, w- without judging people who stand on the street corner and yell, turn or burn, and can I say that, w- that they might be speaking the truth, but it's just not necessarily the wise way of speaking the truth. If you're going fishing, uh, then there, there are certain things you do and there's certain things you don't do. One is you don't shine the light straight in the water. You're going to scare all the fish away. You're trying to draw them in, right? Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, so there's, a, there, there's things that might be true, but they're not wise in the way that we win people. And, and maybe one or two people get reached that way. But most of us, if I went around this room and asked you to think of who it was who was instrumental in you coming to church or coming to Christ, most of you would describe someone who was nice, kind, warm, friendly, someone like Ebony who was Keely described earlier who was filled with joy and filled with life and that connection was powerful. Most of us would describe that kind of person. So can I just take the pressure off today? If we're going to invite people to connect with God, we don't have to be weird. You don't have to preach turn or burn. You don't have to stand on a street corner with a Bible and yell. You just have to be nice. Who thinks you can be nice? Some of you are like, that's a big stretch, Pastor. Come on, can we just lower the bar a little more for me here today? Just have to be nice. The GOAT team yesterday went out on the streets of of Moffat Beach and uh, Dickey Beach and Shelley Beach with little Easter eggs, just handing out Easter eggs and saying, hey, if you want, we've got church services over Easter. You're welcome. Jackson was telling me the response was amazing. People were saying things like, like this. Well, if the people who go are like you, then I would like to come. Absolutely. Now, I'm not sure if that was because one of them was Jai, and that was the pretty girl saying, if they're like you, I'm absolutely coming. We call that hormonal evangelism. We don't really encourage that as the primary strategy to win the loss. But hey, whatever works sometimes. Okay, just moving on. But that would be nice. 
They were being friendly. They were being, they were being warm. They, they weren't accusing or pointing. And this is the thing that people loved about Jesus. He didn't come saying, here's the rules. This is what you've got to do. You're a sinner and you've got to change. He came healing. He came helping. He came encouraging. He came with love and with warmth. And that's the overwhelming theme that God wants us to have. Sharing our faith is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things we can do. It will fuel you when you get into that, you get into that moment out of your comfort zone, but you're part of the joy and the journey of someone coming to Christ. It is so rewarding. The second thing I want us to know here is that Jesus went on the next verse. He said, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around for the fields are already ripe for harvest. The fields are already ripe. There are people around you right now. They're, they're, they've got needs. They've got, they're open to God. And we've just got to get our eyes up and open and connect to them. People around us are ready for a relationship with God. We have to open our eyes. All right, so let's, let's look at this story and what actually happened. Let's look at what happened for Jesus. So, so Jesus meets with this woman and it's the middle of the day. This tells us that already something's going on because it wasn't normal for someone to draw water in the middle of the day in a, in a hot day. So this woman was out there alone and normally people would come together. So it gave us an indication that socially she was having some challenges connecting with people. She was isolated and came out. Uh, she, she, Jesus intuitively knew in this particular moment that there was some issues going on in her personal life with her relationships. But, but at the start, he knew that she was a woman and men didn't talk to women in that setting. And she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. And Jesus cut right through all the issues of class and gender and engaged in a conversation. And I love this about Jesus, and I love this about God. It's this, is that to reach people, we must see them as a person, not a class of person. We must see people as a person, a person with hopes, fears, with dreams, with challenges, with, with a deep need for a relationship with God, not a class of person. They're not a labor supporter or a liberal supporter. They're a person who has a need of God. They're not a Manchester United supporter that the Liverpool person never talks to. They're not a Ford guy that the Holden guy won't cross the road to talk to. They're, 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 they're not a divorcee. They're not, they're not an adulterer. They're not living in sin. They're just a person who has a need of a relationship with God. And if we're going to reach the world, we need to drop the labels that we put on people. And you know what? Sometimes the people that we'll reach will be so different to you and I, I think it's God's sense of humor. When I was about 20 years old working in a clothing factory in Victoria, there was a young man that my boss had sort of thrown a lifeline and given a job to. His name was Scott. Scott had long hair down to here. He loved rock and roll music. Uh, he smelt quite a bit because he didn't really have a home. He lived under an oilskin um, piece of clothing. He'd been kicked out of home. He, he, he would smoke pot and drugs. He'd get high and listen to all this great rock and roll music, akadaka, etc. And I remember the moment one night when we stayed late after work and Scott was cutting up the oilskin clothing and I walked out in my brown cardigan. Okay, don't judge me. It was a long time ago. Uh, and he looked at me and he made this statement. He said, have you always played the straight guy? 
And it was just him sort of his little reach out moment. And so we got into a conversation about his life and about his world. We were, we were worlds apart. We, were, we came from different planets, all right? But we began this conversation. I began to visit Scott, and he began to educate me about the joys of ACDC and all of these different things that as a sheltered Christian kid, I never experienced. I, I, I would sit there, and there'd be an unusual aroma that would come out of, out of Scott's side of the room, and we won't go there right now, but it was just, I felt a bit lighter afterwards, let's just say, and, and, and I'm connecting with him, or listening to music, and, and you know, he, he's having a meal and coming around, and, and then he began to open up with me that when he'd go on these drugs, he'd have hallucinations, and this terrible fear would hit him, and you could see that God was moving around his life, and other people were being kind to him, and then one day he watched this, this film, uh, this was back in the, the 90s, early 90s, and this film talked about rock and roll, and, and it talked about a highway to hell and, and back masking and everything and he he got so freaked out about going to hell because he was experiencing it when he was high that he said I need to I, I need to do whatever it takes to not go to hell and so I, I had the joy of leading Scott into a relationship with Christ and he met he met God and God began to work in his life and later on he went on to become a, a youth pastor and, and got involved uh, in serving God and the thing for me is we were we were on different planets but here's the deal. God didn't ask me to reach a particular class of people. He didn't ask you to reach a particular class of people. He asked us to reach people who have a need for God. And Jesus demonstrated this with the woman at the well. The next thing we realize is Jesus began to connect with the, the woman's core need. He, he realized God showed him and revealed that she had some deep issues in terms of relationships. He had a, a, what we call a word of knowledge that this woman had five husbands and was the one she was living with right now wasn't, the, wasn't even the right one, wasn't even her husband. And so before talking about that, Jesus recognizing that her key need is around relationships, around emptiness, around trying to find fulfillment going from relationship to relationship, Jesus begins to talk into the area of her key need. And he begins to say, if you asked me, I would give you living water, water that you would never grow thirsty again. You obviously have a, a thirst for something in your life that keeps you moving from relationship to relationship. So he began to speak to her about what God wanted to provide for her life. He wanted to provide a flow of love, a, a flow of life for something to bubble up on the inside of her that would fulfill her rather than something externally which might fill that void on the inside. He began to talk about this. And he showed us in the, out of this moment is to reach people, we need to be sensitive to their needs. To reach people, you know, if someone's not got a place to sleep, inviting them to church is not the next step. Finding them somewhere to live. If someone's got no food, inviting them to church is not the next step, but helping them get fed. That's why I love what we do through Shine Community Care, practically meeting the needs of people around our lives. So to reach people, we need to be sensitive. Where's God moving in their life? John Maxwell says it like this, how can we add value to people's lives? Not just get them to church, but how can we help meet the needs of people's lives around them? How can we be the person who is part of the answer in their world? So Jesus began to address 
the area of her need, which was her, her deep inner cry for relationship that would sustain her and for love, and she wasn't finding it in relationships. Jesus went on, and he told her that, and he couldn't have known her, and just he did it in a non-judgmental way but in a way that, that revealed her heart. And out of this experience, she, they had some more conversations. And you can read it later in John chapter 4. They had some more conversations. And she opened up to him. And her life was changed in this moment. But I want you to watch what she does. In John chapter 4, verse 26, it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see, as the, as the invitation, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? I love this. Because sometimes we can think, Well, after I've been a Christian for four years, done Bible college, have all the answers can answer any question people so, some of you sometimes we go oh I don't want to start a conversation about church because what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to what if they're like yeah well how did Noah get two of every animals into the ark how, how did he you're like oh well, what, about, what are the four like horsemen of the apocalypse all about can you answer and we're like oh don't ask me don't ask me but here's the thing it's not our knowledge that will connect people to God. It's not, our, it's not that we've got all the answers. That, I love this. She come and said, come and see. And then she asked a question. Could this be the Messiah? I don't have all the answers, but why don't you come and see? Could this be what you're looking for in your life? Could this be the answer to your son's nightmares? Could this be the answer to your marriage challenges? Could this be the answer to your business struggle? Could this be the answer to your sickness in your body? I don't know, but let me tell you what's happened in my life. I want, to, I want to encourage you that your experiences with God and your revelation of Him are more important than your knowledge. And this, this is what, let me draw this out for you in the sense, because sometimes we, we go, oh, I don't really have a powerful testimony. So-and-so was on drugs and in jail, and then they met Christ and their life turned around. And it's amazing. If I had that testimony, I'd tell everybody. You're like, oh, but my testimony is not that powerful. Can I tell you your experiences... And your revelation is exactly what you need to share with people. Not all the perfect knowledge about God, but your, your experience. So I know for me, for example, that there'll be things that I, I have a strong sense that I've had ever since I was a kid because God's in my life of destiny. So I can tell someone with absolute confidence, it resonates in my heart, that God has a purpose for your life. And you won't discover it until you connect with him, but he's got a purpose. And I want you to discover that purpose. Then you'll find meaning. That's a revelation that I can share with someone. I can tell someone that what it's like to have peace in your heart when everything around you is going crazy. That's, my, that's been my experience. That's my revelation. When life throws you a curveball, God can be there right with you. That's, that's not like a, I was this and now I'm that testimony. That's how God helps me in my life. I can tell people how when you hit a moment of grief and you lose someone really close to you, God will be with you with absolute comfort and absolute closeness and his presence will help you through the most difficult times in your life i can share with people how how jesus can be the third person in your marriage and he can give you strength when both of you are stressed and empty and you need something else you can call on him and he can be the strength and the, and what your marriage needs these are these are things that you've got revelation of what god can do what he's done in your life you've got revelation there where he's helped you as a parent where he's helped you through through difficult seasons or whatever 
whatever it is. So don't ever underestimate the power of your revelation and your experiences. To tell someone, wow, at church on Sunday, I saw this, this thing happen in a person's life. This healing happened to someone. That is fascinating to people. Don't ever underestimate the power of your experience and the power of your revelation. And then we come to this last moment. This is where she goes and she just, she says this powerful statement, just come and see the power of your invitation. We've got this guy coming who died, was clinically dead. And then he was, then he rose from the dead. That's Jesus. That's next week. You thought I was talking about Ian. No, okay, sorry. It's just a little bit of joke there. We've got Jesus will be at church. He died and he rose from the dead. Then the week after Ian McCormack, he died, but he's still, but he'll die anyway. It's Okay. But you just, I mean, what a fact, this is going to be an amazing story. Why don't you come and hear this guy's story? Come and see. I'm not saying come and go to church for the rest of your life. Just come and see what that's like. What's the need in, your, in people's world? Why, why don't we make a, a commitment? This week, I'm, I've been working with a number of people who are on my prayer list, and I'm, I'm t- texting and talking to and encouraging. It's a long-term project. I'm praying for them, and I find there are moments where the need in people's lives gets ramped up because life throws them a curveball, and that's the moment for me to be there adding value, bringing life, and bringing encouragement into their world, and that's the same for you and I. Come and see. Who is it? A few years ago, two years ago, a friend of mine at a boot camp that I went to, I I just took some invitations and I handed them out to about four or five people at the end of this boot camp. And it, was, it wasn't like this powerful thing God told me to do. It wasn't a nudge from the Holy Spirit that you should do it. It was just like, well, we've got church on, it's Christmas. Maybe some of you want to come. Why don't you come? And I handed out invitations, unbeknowingly, one of them was going through a major challenge in his life and his family's life. And he and his family rocked up that Sunday night. And I was kind of surprised. And I watched through the whole service as God ministered to them and touched them. And at the end of their service, both hands went up. And I watched God touch Mark and Nikki here in our church and begin this journey of salvation. And it came simply from a moment of a, hey, why don't you come and see our Christmas service? Well, some people are going to church this Easter. They are, because they've always done it. On Friday or Sunday, why don't you and I be the ones who say, hey, well, why don't you come to our church? Why don't you come into this and see what I love? Come and see what I enjoy doing. And let's see what God can do in this moment. Can I get a keyboardist to come right now? I want us to close our eyes. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, just right now to put names and faces in front of us. It was in a service just like this when I was 20, 20 years old, that the preacher said, ask God to give you the name of someone to reach out to. And that's when that guy Scott's name came to me. His face came to me. We we're on different planets, but God was working in his life. And there are people around your life that God's working in their life right now. I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would prompt and point us towards these ones right now. That we'd have the courage, we'd make the focus to invite people because there's power in an invitation. Help us. Lord, I'm praying for these next eight weeks as a church 
that this place would be filled with people who are far from you, who have slipped away from you, who can come back to you, that your spirit would be in every service, that lives will be changed as your love stretches out to people. If you're thinking of someone right now who you could invite in the next couple of weeks, I want you just to raise your hand and say, yep, I'm thinking of someone that I can invite. There's someone in my world. Thank you. Awesome. So many people. It's what we're all about. You put your hand down. We're coming to the most important moment of our service. I want, I'll just keep your eyes closed for this moment. I have the privilege of praying a prayer with many people, helping them to connect with God. And afterwards, when they connect with God, I like to, I like to just say, what, what did that feel like? What was it like for you to invite God into your life? What happened in that moment? And time and time again, people talk about two different things. They talk about a feeling of love, warmth, that just came into them. That's the love of God. God loves us so much. He waits for us to open up our hearts. And then He comes in with love. The other thing people say is I just felt an indescribable sense of peace. Just, it's like it came over me. It washed over me. Peace. The Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ died on a cross for us, it was so that our sins could be forgiven and it was also so that our consciences could be cleansed. It's a magnificent thing to have a clean conscience. It's a wonderful thing to know that the things that we're ashamed about, the things that, we're, that we've got in our past that torment us, sometimes not even consciously, but just subconsciously, this difference between God, this rub between us and God, we're carrying these things. So when you surrender to Him, He comes and lives in you and He washes you clean and your conscience is cleaned. Oh, to have... A pure, clean conscience is such a light thing. It takes the weight of sin off us. And this morning I'm wondering if you're here and you've never invited God into your life. I'd love to give you the opportunity to pray a prayer in a few moments, inviting Christ to be your Savior. That means you're saying, I put my faith in Him for the forgiveness of my sins. Inviting Jesus Christ to be your Lord. That means you're turning from walking your own way and turning to God to walk His way. Surrendering the leadership of your life to Him because you can trust Him. And if you're ready to do that today, if you're ready to put your trust in Christ and receive Him into your life, in a moment I'm just going to ask you in your seat to raise your hand. And if you do that, God will come and wash you clean, cleanse your conscience begin to walk with you in a whole new way. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you once followed God. Maybe you once walked with God, but you're not walking with Him right now, and you know something's missing. You know it's time to get back right with God. And I love you today to pray this prayer with me for you to reconnect with God, for you to make Him first in your life again, for you begin to follow Him right now. Or maybe you're here and you're just not sure if you're going to go to heaven when you die. You hope you are, but you don't have a confidence in your heart. 
it would be my greatest privilege to lead you in a prayer this morning that gives you a confidence that you'll spend eternity with God. Not because you're good enough, but because Jesus has paid the price for our salvation. So right across this room right now, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If this is you, you're saying, John, I want God to come into my life. I need a fresh start. I need that relationship with Him. I need my conscience cleansed. I want to be forgiven. Or you're saying, I want to come back to Him, or I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. Right now, would you just raise your hand up and say, that's me. Thanks, mate. I see your hand there. That's awesome. You can put it down. Who else right now? You're saying, that's me too. I need to get right with God. Thank you. That's awesome. I see your hand. Who else right now? You're saying, that's me too. I need to get right with God. Maybe you once walked with God. Now's your moment. Come back to Him. Come back to Him. I feel like there's at least one more person in the room right now. And today's your day to get right with God. You can feel Him drawing you to Himself. His love is pulling you to to Himself. Don't fight it. Surrender to Him. He wants just the best for you. But you've got to take a step towards him. If that's you right now, wherever you are, say, that's me. Raise your hand. Join these people. We're going to pray this prayer in a moment. I'm not going to invite you up the front. You can say it in your seat. But we want to help you connect with God in a way that will be life transforming. Last moment, if that you, just raise your hand. Say, John, that's me. My conscience needs cleansing. I feel like that's the key for someone. My conscience needs cleansing. I need to get right with God today. Would you lead me in that prayer? I'm waiting for you right now. Otherwise, we're going to move on. All right. All right. Keep your eyes closed. I want us all to pray this prayer together right now, especially those two of you who raised your hand. Would you pray this from your heart? Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I'm sorry for walking my way. I'm turning to you to walk your way. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power of God. I thank you today that I am forgiven, cleansed, born again, and going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you prayed that prayer watching online right now as well, you can email us in yes at rc3.com because someone will get in touch with you about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe for those of you who prayed that prayer here today, after the service, someone's just going to come and say hi. We've got a gift that we want to give you to help you be a follower of Jesus. Church, can you put your hands together right now for each person responding to Christ? Why don't we stand on our feet together as Josh comes to close the service. Thank you. No, Sandy comes. Thank you.